So we're going to take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Matthew in chapter number 15. And You know, it's kind of difficult to think about what to preach today, whether to continue going through uh, the book of Matthew or whether to go off on a on a different course, um, but I, you know, it's the, the it, it's. I, I'm just going to continue on in the book of Matthew. Uh, I, I knew there would be uh, a lot of people here, and so um, when you're preaching through a book, if someone misses a message, they might miss out on part of it. Each one of the messages sort of stands alone, but they've missed out on part of the study. So um, didn't really know what to do, but here we are in Matthew chapter number 15, and we have a a pretty lengthy reading. It's it's the first twenty verses, and so. Um, but again, you're, we're preaching a section, and this will be a fairly familiar section. That's one of the things about preaching the gospels is that it's familiar with most most people. But in this section today, we're we're seeing the title is transgressing the commandment of God. And so as I was reading this passage of scripture, I was thinking about why didn't Matthew include this uh, in his gospel? We we know that this is not, every one of the gospels are not, they don't tell us every single thing about the life of Jesus. There were many other things that Jesus did and said that weren't recorded. And so you know when the gospel writers include a section in 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 their gospels they're including it for a specific reason and we also know that in studying the book of Matthew we've thought about and we have been looking at all of the ways that Matthew is writing to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and so it's been evident to us as we've gone through the the passage Because Matthew has said, this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was written. And so we know that Jesus fulfilled many prophecies. And so as we think about that question, why did Matthew include this passage in the gospel? That's that's going to be uh, one question that I want you to answer for yourself today. As you listen to the passage and you listen to the message, I want you to think about Why did Matthew include this in his writing? In this text today, we find that the scribes and the Pharisees will bring a question to Jesus. And in their question, they are representing the status of their heart. And in response that Jesus gives to them, we see him sharing wisdom that is from above. Now, just to remember sort of the setting of where we're at, As we concluded reading uh, Matthew 14 last week, Jesus was in the area around Gennesaret and he was there performing all kinds of miracles. And so um, he was healing many of their sickness. So we're still in that setting as we begin our reading Matthew 15 and verse number one. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, 
Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is the gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitudes and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the, the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? Do not you understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth out in the belly, and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, today we thank you for your word. And Lord, we're thankful that you are worthy of our praise. Lord, you loved us enough to send your son to this earth to die for our sins. You have given us eternal life. You loved us from before the world began. You are truly worthy of our worship. We are thankful today, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. That you have opened up to us uh, your heart to us. I pray, God, that as we dig into your word to learn more about uh, your will and your plan, that you will stir our hearts to love you more. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that we will learn to worship you in spirit and truth. And that we will learn not to worship you in vain. As the Pharisees and scribes did. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So, so we're going to think about first and foremost. The, the first thing. Back in verse number one and verse number two. A question asked. It's interesting to me that. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees. Which were of Jerusalem saying. That's, that's interesting. Because. Jerusalem is 75 miles away from where they are at at the time. So, these scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite from Jerusalem, they hear what's going on in the land of Gennesaret, and they decide, hey, we need to do something about this. 75 miles. The shortest route to travel would take them three days but they would have to travel through Samaria. And we know since these are scribes and Pharisees, they're not going to go through Samaria. The next shortest route, they would have to go through Perea, cross the Jordan twice, take them five to seven days. So what's going on with Jesus is significant enough that the scribes and the Pharisees determined that they need to take some action. They need to go down to the land of Gennesaret and they need to find out what's going on with this one named Jesus. 
the difficulty which these Pharisees and scribes saw in Jesus show to us the pressure which Jesus put on the religious groups of the day. They were being pressured because Jesus is fulfilling all of these prophecies. And the fact of the matter is, when we look at their response to Jesus, they understand what's going on. They understand that he is fulfilling these prophecies. They know, like Isaiah 61, remember when Jesus said, this day is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears. And, and you go back, just turn back a few pages to Malachi chapter number 4. Read just a couple of verses there. Um, but Jesus is fulfilling all kinds of prophecies. Malachi 4, 1 and 2. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So the Son of Righteousness is here. He's in their presence. And he has healing in his wings. And so these scribes and these Pharisees, they're looking at the healing that Jesus is doing. And they understand. But they're losing their influence over their people. They're losing their status. People are beginning to turn to Jesus Christ. The crowds are flocking to Jesus. And he is making a real impact in the lives of people. He's fulfilling the words which Zacharias spoke over in Luke chapter number 1, verses 13 through 17, where he said this. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, that's Zechariah speaking of uh, John the Baptist, but Jesus is fulfilling those words that he is preparing the way for the Lord and the Lord is here. The people are feeling that pressure. People are turning to Jesus. He is turning the hearts of many to the Lord, just like John the Baptist did. And the Pharisees are losing their influence. Let's understand today that when Jesus comes into a life, that's exactly what he does. He changes their lives. Lives are changed in the presence of Jesus. You know, that's how you know that someone has come to the Lord. You know that someone has come to the Lord because their life begins to change. This is also the reason why Jesus is loved by so many. He is loved by so many because they understand that he has changed their life. They understand that he has taken them from guilty to redeemed. He has taken them from being dead to having 
lives. He has given them the bread of life and the water of life. And they come to love Him because He loves them. We love Him because He first loved us. And so Jesus changes lives. And that's what was going on in our text. People's lives were being changed. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they couldn't handle it. So they bring this question. And again, they're trying to catch him up. And we want to recognize that what was most important to them was their tradition. They ask the question, why did thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? It is interesting to notice that they, he didn't say, why are, your, um, why are your disciples transgressing the law of Moses? They didn't say that. They said, why are your disciples transgressing the tradition of the elders? And that's because all their religion and the way they operated the day to day was based upon was tradition. It wasn't based upon the word of God. It wasn't based upon the law of Moses. It was based upon tradition. They eat with unwashed hand for they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And so the problem with the question is, is they were asking about tradition and not scripture. They were trying to maintain ceremonial cleanliness. So as I think about that and, and I thought about the scribes and the Pharisees and their, their longing to hold to the tradition of the, of the elders, I wondered what they thought about eating with unwashed hands. I wonder, I mean, did they really think it was a sin to eat without washing their hands? Or are they only concerned about losing influence? Are they simply afraid to move away from tradition? And you, and you know that happens in churches today. There are things that take place because of tradition. And there's been people that have struggled over things. Do you know that this was one thing that was difficult for people? The inclusion of hymnals in church Bringing them into a church. You know, we don't need to sing out of hymns. Now that you're taking them out of churches and people are singing with the words on the wall, there's a problem with that. There, there's no scripture about that, but, but it's a tradition and people are afraid to move away from that. There are many things and we could, if we wanted to, we could take the time here to, to talk about traditions. But we, we want to think about our worship to God and we want to make sure that we're not holding to traditions so tightly that we move away from the scripture. Let's understand that everything that we do as a church needs to be built upon the scripture. We must think about traditions and the commandments of men. And do we give more value to, to tradition and the commandments of men than we do to the word of God. And you know, one of the places that's coming to us and is going to face us um, is the tradition of marriage. Is it only the tradition of marriage? Is it only the patriarchal tradition? Or is it biblical? Let's remember that God created male and female. In his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's understand, God designed two genders. That's not tradition. That's not up for question. God created male and female. Let's also understand that 
uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Genesis and Genesis chapter number two and verse 24 that describes to us marriage. So uh, gender identity and marriage are uh, not traditions. They are the word of God. And we want to make sure that we're building our lives according to the word of God. And I have more to say about that um, in, in, a, in the coming moments. But but we have this question that the scribes and the Pharisees bring to Jesus. And we want to remember that that question is just solely built upon tradition. And then we have next a question answered. So we had a question asked. Now we have a question answered. And in true rabbinical form, Jesus answers the question with a question of his own. But he answered and said unto them, verse 3, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? It, it was the way that Jesus taught. Jesus often taught by asking questions. And, and I talked to the young people about this last night in the young people's meeting. It's about all the different times that Jesus asked questions. And, and he often taught by asking questions. But here, instead of just simply giving an answer, he wants to know. Why do you transgress the commandment of God? So notice the difference. The scribes and the Pharisees asked, why do you transgress the, the tradition? And Jesus here asked the question, why do you transgress the commandment of God? There's a truly different. And we want to realize that as a student, it's best to dig for discovery rather than just listening to or filling in answers or, or questions fill in the blank sort of questions. It's better to seek for discovery. And, and uh, one of the things they're trying to, to implement in school is what's called a compelling question. And, and so that compelling question is to lead into an overall thought. And, and that's what Jesus did. He, he always taught or often taught using questions. And Jesus explains now the commandment they transgress. So what is, verse number four, he says, for God commanded saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that cursed his father or mother, let him die the death. That, that's found in Exodus chapter number 20 and verse number 12. We're, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but you know what it is. One of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And apparently this honoring the father and mother extended all the way to the end of their life. Honoring the mother, you weren't only supposed to honor your father and mother as a child, but honoring the father and mother extended until the day they died. Reading a commentary, it says, This was a, complaint, a plain command of God, written with his own hand and delivered by Moses to them. It was of a moral nature and of an eternal obligation and to be understood not merely of that high esteem parents are to be had in by their children and of the respectful language and gesture to be used towards them and of the cheerful obedience to be yielded to them but also of honoring them with their substance, feeding, clothing, and supplying them with the necessities of life when they stand in need thereof, which is but their reasonable service for all the care, expense, and trouble they have been at in bringing them up in the world. Nor did the Jews deny this to be the duty of the children to their parents and own it to be the sense of the commandment, they say that it is the weightiest commandment among the weighty, weightiest ones. Even this, the honoring of father and mother, and ask, what is this honor? To which is replied, he must give him food and drink and clothing, buckle his shoes and lead him in and bring him out, 
They indeed, indeed laid down, this is a rule, and it seems a very equitable, equitable one. When a man's father has any money or substance, he must be supported out of that. But if he has none, he must support him out of his own. But then, as will be seen hereafter, they may void this commandment of God and their own explica explications of it by some other tradition. So, what's it saying? The Jews understood this, honor your father and mother would be until the end of their life. And if your father and mother at the end of their life need anything, it was your responsibility as a child to care for them. That was what was understood in honoring your father and mother. And what was happening here, the Jews had gone away from that. And in verse number five, it tells us that, uh, but you say, whosoever shall say to his father or mother, it is the gift by whatsoever thou profitest, that thou mightest be profited by me. Here's what they began to say. The Jews began to skirt their responsibility to their parents by saying that, listen, I would care for you, but all the extra money that I have to care for you, I've dedicated it to God. I'm going to make it a gift to God. And, the, and they would get out of taking care of their parents by saying they were going to dedicate all of that to God. Williams helps us understand that verse by saying this. Here's how he writes it. But you say, whosoever tells his father or mother, everything I have that might be used for helping you is devoted to God. The ESV says it like this. If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God. So, so what were they doing? Like I said, they would say, what I would use to care for you, I've already dedicated to God. And this, this promise that they made, or this statement that they made, was often a false one. Because they would say, they would tell their parents more or less, I've dedicated it to God as a gift, but they would never give the gift to God. They would make the promise, or they would tell their parents that, and then they would keep the gift for themselves. They made the promise only as a way of getting out of their responsibility to their parents. And in essence, what they did was they took the name of the Lord in vain. Because they made a vow to God that I'm going to give you. They made a vow to God that I'm going to give this as a gift to God. But they never gave that gift. And God says in his word, it's better not to vow a vow than to vow a vow and not keep it. So in essence, what they were doing was they were taking the name of the Lord in vain. So they broke the commandment of God. And they had that tradition. And they had that tradition and they gave more value to that tradition than they did to the commandment of God. And the, the interesting thing, what is the penalty for forsaking your duty to prepare, prepare for your parents? That is cursing your parents and you were to die the death. You were to die the death. You were worthy of death. What have they done? These Jews have, they have accepted the tradition of men and they have forsaken the commandment of God. And so we have now, we have a question to ask, we have a question answered, and now we have an accusation made. Verses 7 through 9. You hypocrites. Jesus didn't mince any words, did he? Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments 
of men. A prophecy here is affirmed. If we would take the time, to, well, let's just take the time real quick. Isaiah chapter number 29. Isaiah chapter number 29 and verse number 13. This is a prophecy that Jesus is saying that they are fulfilling. Isaiah 29, 13. Wherefore the Lord say, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips to honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. So they are fulfilling that law. Also, uh, Ezekiel 33, 1, we won't take the time uh, to look there. But what are we seeing? We're seeing that God has already said their heart would be far from me. And Jesus says here, listen, your worship of me is in vain, or your worship is in vain. Their worship is in vain. He's speaking to these pious Jews. He's speaking to the Pharisees, the experts in the law. They worship in the temple. They followed the letter of the law so much that Paul said this when he was a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. The Pharisees felt like when it came to the law, they were blameless. In their own eyes, in their own view, they were the creme de la creme of those who were worshiping God. They had the externals of worship. They worshiped in the temple. They wrote, they, they scribes, they, they pinned down the law. They were experts in the law. And Jesus said, your worship is in vain. Why? The worship was in vain because it was not according to spirit and truth. Their worship was vain because it was not from a heart of love. Their worship was only to point to their own glory, not to the glory of God. Their worship was not full of grace. It was seeking Merit. It was trying to gain favor with God. So everything they did was useless. It sort of like Cain and Abel. Cain brought the works of his hands to God. And his offering was not received. Anytime that we try to do things in order to try to gain the favor of God. That is not worship of God. That is worship of self. And that is not accepted of God. Because he'll share his glory with no one. And so their worship is vain. Their worship and their teaching is built upon the commandments of God instead of the, the word of God. And it is in vain. In this instance, they are laying aside the commandment of God to care for their parents, to follow the tradition of men, which allows for the forsaking of the care. So in other words, remember when Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees missed out on that. They had to sacrifice. Oh, we're going to wash our hands before we go to eat. But would they have mercy for their parents? They wouldn't. Would they be concerned about the poor and the destitute? They would not. And so when Jesus said, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice, they say, your washing of your hands matters none. If you don't have mercy towards those who are in need. You see where they, the, the Pharisees, it was all ritualism. It was all ceremonialism. There was no true love in their heart 
for God and no true love in their heart for their fellow man. They had no care about their fellow man. And so their worship was in vain. You know, it's it, it, it brings up that question in our own mind to ask ourselves, is our worship in vain? Do we have all the externals correct, but we don't love our neighbor as ourselves? We don't have mercy towards those who are less fortunate? We need to ask ourselves that question. So, an accusation made, and now we have an address of the crowd. Jesus addresses the crowd in verses 10 through 12. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came to his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this thing? So, Jesus is going to the crowd and he's calling upon the crowd to understand what truly defiles. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So Jesus addresses the crowds and then the disciples appeal to Jesus. Don't you know they were offended? The Pharisees were offended at the words of Jesus. One commentator mentioned that the tone of Jesus when he accused the Pharisees was one of sorrow. Instead of anger. His tone is to help them understand their fault. So when he says. Instead of being angry. When he asks the question. Why do you transgress. The commandment of God. By your tradition. It was one of. I can't. It was one of sorrow. Not anger. He was trying to help them to see. But the Pharisees were still offended. And, and Jesus is teaching here that the disciples should not be concerned about the offense that was taken by the Pharisees. They should be concerned about the truth of the word of God. First and foremost. And you know, we that's something that we need to remember. We need to remember that Sometimes when you stand for the truth of the word of God, people are going to be offended. If it offends them in their sin, again, you don't have to be offensive, but sometimes when you just speak the plain word of God, or you, you live the plain word of God, or you stand for the truth of the word of God, people are going to be offended. And you know, this brings to mind that which is happening in Canada right now, that the C4 bill, which outlaws what's called conversion therapy. And we don't, you, not everyone knows what is called conversion therapy. And, and the Canadians will say that um, they only are trying to stop militant conversion therapy. But the way the law is written, set out in Bill C4 in Canada, it reads like this. In sections 320.102 to 320.104, conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, which means that your gender equals your anatomy, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, 
repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. For greater certainty, this definition does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to the exploration or development of an integrated personal identity, such as a practice, treatment, or service that relates to a person's gender transition. And that is not based on an assumption that a particular sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression is to be preferred over another. What they're afraid of in Canada is that as a pastor, if someone comes to you and says, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, and you as a pastor say, well, let me sit down and share with you what the scripture says. Or as a parent, and you have a child who is struggling with that, and you begin to instruct them in the home. Now, as the law is written right now, that's not against the law per se, but neither does the law give you that ability to do so. So it's it's really not mentioned. So I'm not going to get into that C4 bill very deeply, but, but what I wanted to get to, what I want to share with you today was the Canadian evangelical response. Here's what they said. We recognize that the greatest danger facing the Canadian church is not that we might face criminal prosecution, but rather that we might compromise in our teaching of the word of God or fall silent in our proclamation of the gospel. Along with the church leaders of black conviction across Canada, we stand before you today to pledge that we are committed to obeying God above all others. With the Lord's help, we will continue to proclaim the whole counsel of God without fear or favor. This includes God's life-giving design for human beings made in His image, male and female, with sexual intimacy reserved for the covenantal union of a man and a woman. We will continue to issue the call to repent of all kinds of sin and to believe the gospel, knowing that we have all sinned and that salvation through Jesus is the one true hope for the world. We will continue to love and serve all people in our community without distinction in Jesus' name. As we press on in the work of ministry, we will trust our Heavenly Father to guard us and keep us and to work out His greater purpose for our good and His glory. And so what their response is, we can't be afraid of prosecution. What our greatest fear needs to be that we would compromise the word of God. And when we think about this story about the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and the scribes were not afraid to compromise the word of God. They, they wanted to follow tradition. And we must understand as we're moving forward as a church, no matter what is coming in our world, we want to understand that our greatest fear should not be prosecution, but our greatest fear should be that we would compromise the Word of God. Because what happens if you compromise the Word of God? It leads to, in vain, they do worship. And so we want to be careful that our worship does not become vain by our uh, compromising the Word of God. So the disciples appeal to Jesus and Jesus more or less said, you shouldn't be worried about their offense. Offense is going to come. Again, he wasn't offensive. 
per se, he stood for the word of God. And now we're going to see that Jesus applies the teaching. First thing, verse 13, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Every tree planted, not planted by the Father, will be rooted up. Remember, we've been teaching this. We've been teaching about the separation that's going to happen at the end. The wheat and the tares are going to be separated. Remember, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit. It's going to be cut down and cast into the fire. We want to remember that the separation is going to happen. And here Jesus is once again talking about that separation. And he says, let them alone. Listen, they're blind leaders of the blind. And because whoever's going to follow them are going to fall into the ditch. Because they're blind, they're going to fall into, fall into the ditch. And whoever follows them is going to fall in the ditch. And Jesus is saying, let them alone. They won't listen. They're hard-hearted. They won't be moved by the scripture. Let them alone. Then Jesus, or Peter, comes to Jesus. And Peter says, Lord, I don't get it. What's this mean? Jesus, what's up, Peter? Don't you understand? Some write that question to be like this. In spite of all of my teaching, are you also like the Pharisees without spiritual insight or grasp? Peter, I've been teaching you. Why don't you know? Moffat says this, one must never forget the disciples lived in a Pharisee environment. Their religious world outlook was Pharisee. They were lacking in spiritual intelligence. They could not understand at times. See, the, the, the true problem here, Jesus goes on and explains it. Don't you understand? What you eat does not defile you. You eat it, it's digested, and it's expelled. That does not defile a man. There is no such thing as unceremonial, the ceremonial uncleanness. Um, that doesn't defile a man. But there is a true uncleanness. And the true uncleanness is what, verse 18 says, what comes out of the mouth. Because what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a man. Because what comes out of the mouth is what comes out of the heart. This is one reason we should guard our heart. This is why we should listen to speech. When you listen to speech, you pay attention to attitudes. You can tell what's in someone's heart. By their speech. What's in the heart is going to come out of the mouth. And so Jesus is saying. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. All of those are going to come out of someone's mouth. Listen. You listen to what people say. I do. Because what they say is indicative of what's in their heart. If profanity comes out of their mouth, profanity is, no, is probably in their heart. If anger comes out of their mouth, anger is in their heart. If they speak adulterous words, they, they like to speak of sexual things. That's probably because adultery is in their heart. 
We could go on and on and on and talk about that, but you, you get the point, right? What comes out of someone's mouth is indicative of what's in their heart. And Jesus is encouraging them to pay attention to what comes out of their mouth. Because it's indicative of what's coming in their heart. So Jesus encourages us to realize the many ways that he fulfills the words of the Old Testament prophets. And again, we didn't read here that this was done that it might be written, that it might be fulfilled which was written. He, he doesn't say that in so many words, but we see another fulfilled prophecy in the life of Jesus. So there should be no doubt that Jesus is the coming Messiah. It also encourages us to know the word of God because a proper understanding of the word of God is proper to worship. We also see that the value of not taking scripture out of context. We see Jesus giving an exposition of scripture, verse by verse, exposition. Teaching what the scripture says, verse by verse, is the easiest way not to fall into tradition. But also we see Jesus challenging us with our heart and what comes out of our mouth. But most importantly, we see changed lives. We see the Pharisees and the scribes taking notice because Jesus was changing lives. And so the question for us today, is your life changed? What comes out of your mouth? Does it tell me what your heart is? Do you love the Lord or is your worship in vain? These are all questions that we need to consider as we look at this passage of scripture. But is your life changed? That's the song that keeps coming to my mind. Jesus got a hold of my life. And he won't let me go. Has Jesus got a hold of your life? Got into your heart? Got into your soul? Has he changed your life? I pray that if you don't know Jesus today, you will see you need to change life. And you will repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you. And we thank you for your word. I pray that you'll bless your people and that you'll bless your word. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.